Welcome to this week's Polyphony. On our show today, we are discussing survival for acapella organizations. We have with us Gina Deaton from CASA. She's the president of the Contemporary Acapella Society, CASA, the organization that puts on So Jam, Laugh, and Boss. We also have Brody McDonald, who is the vice president of the Acapella Educators Association, the organization that produces many educational-based acapella festivals, including NAC, Kettering, Sing Texas, Bend, and Nordonia. And last but certainly not least, we have Marty Monson, who is the secretary and chief executive officer of the Barbershop Harmony Society, the organization that puts on the district and international barbershop conventions. So welcome to all. And here's Aaron. Thanks so much, Rachel. Marty, I'd love to start with you and maybe help give us a picture of how your major pre-pandemic programs and initiatives have been affected by all this and kind of where are you right now? Right. Well, back at the beginning of March, we're going in, or our spring season is our busiest convention event season of the whole year. So we do nearly about 30 events all around North America. And really, to probably the hardest conversations I had was with some of our volunteers who are in charge of these events. Our staff doesn't necessarily do or get involved in a lot of those. And our first one was really that first weekend in March. And with everything going on, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, just a lot of challenges in general. And we were on the phone constantly up until the morning of the event, and then we end up having to cancel. And then that just had a domino effect into everything else. Even before the actual lockdown, if you will, that occurred later on in mid-March. So that immediately had that shockwave throughout our whole organization uh, from where all of our groups, ensembles, our choirs, our quartets all had been preparing so hard for these conventions and contests and festivals that now they didn't have a place to go. The revenue impact, the providing registration refunds and all these things and the expenses of the hotels and, and the venues. I mean, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. It's like, what just happened? You know, what's happening? You know, what? <laughs> going on and it was just crazy and then from there it just was like the shock of just groups getting together and that is we're based upon like all of us I mean if you can't get together you struggle and that's what happens so you fast forward to now like any organization and we're finding ways we're finding creative ways we'll probably cover a lot of those things but it's not easy it's just not easy to get people gathering unless you're standing outside maybe in your cul-de-sac or your porch no wind right 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 right. did you come up with new sort of processes or ways to bring people together for rapid decision making during this process because a lot of it seems like a lot of decisions would need to happen in pretty fast succession while this was all going down We had created a pretty strong culture of video communications and audio communications as a means to engage with our volunteers for a number of years. So that wasn't a big challenge. I think what we had going on here actually at our headquarters where we have 44 people employed to help support the volunteers and support the organization, we just had a tornado that ripped through Nashville at that point in time and really impacted our staff. Many were without power for for a week and luckily nobody was hurt or had severe damage, but we probably had more impact of just our staff and how we would communicate just with them and going into a remote environment versus the brick and mortar of Harmony Hall here that luckily we had put a lot of things in place for emergencies. We've actually practiced and execute a lot of emergency planning. And so people were not necessarily unfamiliar, but the reality was the reality. And it was forced due to the tornado and then forced due to the pandemic. And so we had to find new ways of communicating just with our staff that was a little bit different, even though we all have video cameras 
and I have had since 2012 when I arrived. It was a requirement um, because I had a lot of remote employees that I began to introduce. Because this prior to me joining here, I was in the video conferencing and distance learning business for 20 oh, years. Ah. And so I brought that right into, who would have thought I would be incorporating that into music and choirs and acapella groups and all that kind of stuff. I mean, who would have thought? That was a really big pivot and change that we had to make real quickly with our staff. But the good news is, I mean, with so many, we have about 5,000 volunteers that engage in all these in uh, people gathering on a regular basis and they rallied pretty quickly. We have a lot of good communication channels and it's never perfect because everybody's, the last thing is about how do you gather as a choir when people are trying to find out if they have a job and what's going on with this thing. Is it real? Is it, you know, all these things of unknown and uncertainty. So yeah. Gina, for you, it seems like just as Marty was saying, this hit right in the middle of a pretty active CASA period. What was the wind down and sort of, you know, adaptation process like for you? Yeah, it similarly hit for us during, right before Boss, in fact, our Boston Sings Festival that happens in April. So if you if you happen to remember or do the math, um, the shutdown, we saw it coming and we weren't sure exactly how it was going to play out. Boston shut down about two weeks before we were supposed to have our Boston Sings Festival. And of course, we'd already made non-refundable deposits. So some entities were able to work with us more than others on some of those things. So that was, everybody was pretty flexible, but of course there were some things that had already been paid for that we couldn't get back, but still had to refund tickets and all those things. So we, we took a hit like everybody else in the spring. So I know we're in good company, but our team, the, the boss team actually did a really amazing job pivoting pretty quickly to a fully virtual weekend. While we weren't able to pivot as quickly with a, like a professional showcase or any kind of scholastic competition, we did do a day of, I think it was six free education courses that ended up being really, really, ex- it was six hours, excuse me, six different pockets, but with a few different options in each one. So we're able to get close to an approximate Saturday, normal Saturday for a CASA festival. And it came together really incredibly well. The other part of the weekend was our CARA ceremony. So our, you know, the Grammys for acapella, right? And we're supposed to happen that weekend in Boston as well. And of course, we're not going to happen live as they normally would. So our awards team also did an incredible job pivoting to a virtual ceremony that we did on Facebook Live, which ended up being a really meaningful experience. We had a lot of folks from other time zones around the world that were able to participate more than they could have if we had had a live ceremony. So in that sense, it ended up being a really positive thing for a lot of our friends around the world. So that was that was a silver lining in all of it. Of course, we were heartbroken. We love Boston Sings. We love the festival. The team is great. We were really looking forward to all seeing Fork again live and they're right before their retirement. So we're all still really heartbroken about those things. So of course, there was a lot of sadness and loss and grieving. The boss team had worked incredibly hard leading up to that. So similar to you, Marty, there, there was just a lot of lost work and it was heartbreaking. Also, you know, we, we all knew that safety and health was the priority. So we, we you know, we're looking at v- virtual events for the time being. We have a natural break between Boston and then SoJam in North Carolina in the fall. So it gave us a few months to kind of breathe as a board, as event teams, see where we were, what it looked like was going to happen. And we are planning to do a virtual festival for SoJam this fall. And so we're still kind of putting the pieces together of what that'll look like, but trying to do what we can. So we've offered a few different virtual things online, like all the rest of you over the summer, but looking forward to doing some, you know, as much as we can virtually 
this coming season. The good news with awards is we can do everything virtually anyway. So we can do more award ceremonies virtually. The education component can obviously happen virtually, which we've already all done and proven. Um, then, So the performance aspect is one of the, the more, and of course, the in-person interaction, there's just no substitute. So we're doing the best we can. It's, it's a challenging time for all of us. And also knowing that it's a limited time problem and we're going to get through it. And when we can all reconvene and gather again, it'll be a really beautiful reunion. So we're looking forward to sometime next year, probably when we can all hang out again. And I think we're going to all come to all of each other's events just because we're so desperate for some acapella in-person interaction. And I'm really looking forward to that. So hopefully there will be, we'll all be able to say, wow, that was a crazy year. And we're just really glad it's all behind us, you know? Um, so we're trying to look at the long term and do what we can to sort of make it through this year as best as we all can. And then know that we can move on from there. Yeah. Uh, have you, was there an evolution in terms of kind of member or constituent reaction? reaction to all of this uh, in sort of the feedback that you were hearing from the community as Casa was kind of figuring out its plans and what to do and how to move forward? You know, every by the time we had to cancel the Boston Festival, it became everybody had kind of already moved into the we should probably cancel everything camp. You know, there was a, there was a couple weeks there where like South by Southwest, the people who canceled early were kind of getting getting criticized. And then everybody kind of came back around like, what was it, seven days later? So we were on the tail end of that, thankfully, where everybody was pretty understanding of the fact that we had to cancel and we did get some really good positive feedback from people appreciating the conservative you know we didn't really have a choice at that point because the city was literally shutting down however um, we did get a lot of positive feedback that just appreciating our being willing to be careful and follow the rules and all that kind of stuff so the virtual things that we've done and which I'm sure is true for the other organizations as well we have had a lot of grateful positive feedback with those as well especially the Boston scene education weekend that ended up being we got really good feedback and a lot of good attendance I think we had somewhere between you know 50 to 200 people in every class it was just a really good turnout so people are you know I think trying to join in on the things that they find meaningful and you know a, a good use of their virtual time which we all know we have a lot of burnout happening with that so we're trying to be sensitive and not overdo it but trying to really create things that are meaningful in some capacity virtually that people can enjoy and get some benefit from. So overall, I, I would say the response from those who normally attend Costa festivals and as, as well as our staff, I say that our volunteers has been really positive. This We're all trying to figure this out and everybody's been really supportive as we've tried different things and, and, and done our best to pivot. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Brody, how about for you? Uh, AEA has such an interesting mix of programs and initiatives. Some are event based kinds of things. And then there are mm -hmm. some that are a little more either unscheduled or can be converted to a distance environment more easily. How did this hit all the things that you're working on? Well, for us, we have a lot of partner festivals and our cornerstone event is the NAC in the spring. And right. so we had already made the decision to make the jump from Briarcrest to Orlando and we were taking 2020 off from the NAC. So I don't want to say we were lucky, but I mean, it was fortuitous that it was not our first year in Orlando and six weeks out and everything hit. So obviously, we're, you know, we're still looking at that. It's hard to, to say what's going to happen, but we're very much thinking, OK, when it does return, it'll return to Orlando. And, and hey, maybe that's even better because, as Gina said, it, it'll be pent up demand. Mm. You know, travel will explode, <laughs> things of that nature. So I know for, for sure I could use a little time on the beach. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be singing on the beach and uh, going to concerts at night because uh, I can't stand being in this 
this this house much longer. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, much like Casa. So as we go into the fall, Kettering is sort of our first thing in the fall, and, and we're exploring ways to do a virtual and event type thing there. We started getting into. I mean, we've always had educational support. So what we've been doing is trying to expand that, adding in some online classes through the the Teachable platform. So right now there's classes that are on there, uh, including vocal percussion, uh, some stuff, you know, jazz. Claire Wheeler did some jazz stuff for us. John Smith's done an arranging thing. JD's rehearsal techniques classes on there. That one's free. So everybody should go check that out. But we're going to continue to expand that library. Also, we've recruited some folks to do virtual coaching. So as we mm. come into the next season, people will be able to reach out and get you know guest coaches to come in, either to coach a group if they're in a, an area of the country where they they are able to rehearse or to discuss aspects of the industry or, or do motivational things, team building things. I mean, that will be a pay service for the clinicians that do that, but we're going to facilitate that. Of course, we also have the acapella.how website, which I think a lot of people just, it's kind of been there a long time. And so it's like, oh, that's there, but it has a lot of stuff on it. And now that people have more time to dig into that, I think it's a perfect time to really explore that website. And then of course, you know, just are continuing our content creation blog posts and public domain arrangements and things like that that you can grab at acapellaeducators.com. So we're, we're working on a lot of those virtual things, this multi-headed Hydra approach of just trying to get things for, for people wherever we can. With the, the event-based stuff, both the partner festivals and NAC a little further down the schedule tree, what's your process around sort of go, no-go decision-making around that stuff? Is there a timeline that you sure. sort of ascribe to each event or a process or how does that work for you? Well, with our partner festivals, they have a lot of autonomy. So, I mean, for us, it's really just more about supporting what they can do. And so it remains to be seen what each of them wants to do. I know speaking on behalf, you know, putting on my Kettering hat, my parents this summer, my parent boosters who who put on the event were very much like, hey, what can we do? We're supposed to have voice play in. Can voice play do something? I talked to them, you know, they're a little bit grounded. There's not much going on for them. And they said, well, we're open to it. But I think, you know, in terms of the clientele, you know, for us, the bread and butter of Kettering is groups that come in. You know, we usually have mm -hmm. 60 plus intact groups. We don't get any, really any individual membership, you know, mm -hmm. members coming in. So, you know, how many of those schools are going to even have groups? Right. And then how are we going to facilitate that? And who's going to pay for it? All that kind of stuff. So it's just still in the, in the feel out process. And mm -hmm. I don't know where it is in your neck of the woods, but in Ohio, most of the schools are just now starting, you know, professional development days. A lot of, a lot of places like my school starting on September 8th, they've just pushed everything back. So I don't even really know what the protocols are going to be for even the remote learning that I'm doing in Kettering. And mm -hmm. uh, so I think educationally, that's where we're going to have a lot of issues because it's going to take a solid month just for people to figure out what they can do with their students and how much yeah. they have to lean on remote learning. Yeah, absolutely. How, Gina, for you, it seems like, and maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like perhaps a number of the the members that join CASA do so through the event process, or at least in conjunction with that piece of it. And with events being harder to do and sort of drawing differently in terms of numbers and folks, does that change the kind of outreach that you do around membership or incentives that you provide for CASA membership or the benefit kind of 
ROI that you're marketing out to people. Has this affected that at all? We've actually been working to revamp that for a little while now, the membership piece. That's that's not something that we have focused on as much over the last few years. So, and with so many things becoming accessible virtually, that was really one of the draws of our original membership platform. So we do have folks who are still true blue members of CASA just because they want to support everything we're doing, which is beautiful and wonderful and usually happens through the website anyway. So that part of it hasn't really been, they just renew every year. You know, they just keep going, which God bless them for all of us. We need those. But the, as far as drawing new members, that's actually something we're working on anyway. What, what do we have to provide to draw new members in? So we're looking at lots of different options. And of course, COVID threw an interesting wrench in all the timelines for all the things and all the projects and all the initiatives. However, it is something we're still working on and developing kind of a fresh perspective on membership and what that can look like going forward. Marty, how about for you? It's sort of similar in some way. You know, international, midwinter, a lot of things draw a lot of folks and a lot of choruses and quartets aren't meeting right now. The pipeline probably looks a little different for you, I would guess, than than normal. Does that change the, the offer picture that you make to members? Definitely. I think the you have to consider the amount of time it takes these groups to prepare where the value exchange is strong enough to spend the money to go and do these events, right? So on top of that, you have your agreements with your venues and your hotels or whatever it is too that you have to pay more attention to perhaps than what you've done in the past to, Gina, to your point about, you know, you make deposits and those aren't refundable deposits, you know, with some of those things. And those are big challenges. And so that timing and and what you find in clauses, especially now with pandemic and, you know, so yeah, you just got more of an algorithm you have to figure out, I guess. I don't know another way to say it. A very complex cord, tight cord maybe, I don't know. But, you know, you you just have to look at all that. But you have to really think about, even if you work so hard. I remember when we first did our webinar with the scientists at the beginning of May about singing in the pandemic and all this, and it was just such a gloom and doom. I know, Brody, it was horrible, right? We were labeled the super emitters of the world, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I hate that, you know, it's just like, where did that come from? But the point being is that you just have to consider all these things, you know, to the safety and all that, but it just takes more time to prepare. And even if you were able to successfully better prepare and do all that, you don't know if anybody's going to show up because of the uncertainty of so many things. I mean, we have our midwinter in New York City. And the crazy thing, you know, in January, right, we were bringing that here and we had these groups coming and all this kind of stuff. And we were really excited because the Music Man also was, day, he was going to open in October and Barbershop and the Music Man, you know, all this stuff in the backyard. And, and uh, this thing happened. And then we're thinking, boy, how long can we hold out? Because this is just a really perfect environment and it's kind of a once in a lifetime deal. And then when we kind of finally made the decision that's just not possible because nobody's going to show up, what school district's going to bring their choir or allow a choir to travel to New York City, right? Even though it's a great mecca. Well, then at that point in time, all the events people of New York City went on furlough. So then you can't even get a hold of them to even work any agreements out or any kind of changes or anything like that before you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. so you're saying, yeah, this happened. And, and it's just, it's crazy the amount of just different things that no matter how hard you work to try and figure it out, it still just does come down to, will these groups come? 
you know, and do they have enough time to prepare that it makes sense, you know? And that's a struggle thing. I, I would say for us, you almost have to have six months. Our groups only get together maybe once a week. They're not like schools that get together multiple times during the school year or during the school week to, to perfect their group. Our quartets get together perhaps a little bit more frequently and can do things more virtual. So you just have to think about the ramp that has to happen for those things to occur where it makes sense to spend the money, spend your vacation, spend your, you know, hard-earned money from all that. Those are big challenges, new things that we, so virtual is everything right now. You got to, you got to just pivot. Yeah. The timing of our organizations is really interesting because Marty, you know, you're more in the adult, you know, working adult world, whereas Brody is in more of the scholastic world at high school range. And CASA, our focus has been largely collegiate. So where Brody's, you know, has gotten delayed in our situation, we have a bunch of college students already back on campus or maybe just starting out virtually and with no idea if they'll be able to rehearse in person or in any capacity, will they have an acapella group this year? And they're also a lot of colleges are shortening their semesters. So whereas we would normally have SOJAM, you know, the first week in November or something similar to that, that's like the week before finals now. So they're they're shortening it where they're going home at Thanksgiving and not going back because they want to minimize the transfer. So it's a really fascinating time because we've all, all three of us have had a fairly predictable rhythm of timing, you know, with groups being able to uh, rehearse and right, Brody, with yours, you know, you, you time catering so that groups have time to start school, practice, get to know each other we do the exact same thing with sojan just on the collegiate schedule but the way that all of these different pockets of society are approaching their adjustments because of covid are vastly different and so how to how we all adjust is just a very fascinating problem that we're all sharing right now so i just wanted to comment on that because you know marty for you the ramp up has to be longer and for us you know it's it's getting shortened this because the semester is getting shortened it's affecting our what we're trying to figure out for sojam like can we pull it off in time because now we have to move it up a month basically if we're gonna do it so that's october and yeah it's almost september as we're speaking tonight right and then you know brody for y'all with kettering is similar thing like by the time everybody figures out what's going on with high school instruction and groups will there be time to plan even a virtual something so it's, it's just a very a lot of us really don't know there's so much uncertainty so yeah i just wanted to acknowledge the industry-wide um, uncertainty that we're all kind of facing and trying to serve the community but right now we don't even know what that community is able to do in order for us to serve and support so it's just a really fascinating time to be alive for so sure trying to see the the humor in it the challenge but it's definitely definitely problematic at times absolutely well one thing is for sure and that is we need to go to a break but on the other side we will have so much more so please stick with us we'll be talking more with Gina Deaton Brody McDonald Marty Monson and we'll be talking about new ways of structuring the organization and resourcing towards these leaner times things about how the crisis has added to the roles and responsibilities of these organizations and are there opportunities in the mix so uh, stick with us we'll be back after a short break have you heard Tacapella? Hosted by Brian Alexander and Alicia Edwards, it's an hour of conversation with some of the most fascinating people in acapella, covering topics from building a group remotely to rehearsal strategies to strengthening your brand. Tacapella goes deep and brings out the insights. With over 100 episodes and counting, there's still so much to talk about. 
The show airs Tuesdays at 8 p.m. East, 5 p.m. West, and again on rebroadcast Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. East, 4 a.m. and 4 p.m. West. And we're back with Polyphony, and on this episode, we are speaking with Gina Deaton from CASA, Brody McDonald from the Acapella Education Association, and Marty Monson from BHS. And here is Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. We talked before the break, and Gina, you brought up the notion of different kind of communities handling this in really different ways around the pandemic. And I wonder if that implies a different role or more of a role on the part of acapella organizations to help these communities make better decisions, or at least know kind of what they're talking about. And and Brody, I guess I'll start with you on the, the K-12 side in particular, since you're, mm-hmm. you're interacting not only with the, the groups and the directors, but also with educators sort of writ large. Is there a role for AEA in terms of helping them know what they're up against? Absolutely. I think one of the things that has been the silver lining of this pandemic is all the teachers I've talked to have really said, I'm, I'm stopping. I'm examining what I'm doing. Why am I doing it? I'm getting out of the habit of just doing what I did last year, because by the time, you know, I get done, I struggle to the end. I limp to the summer. I collapse for a few weeks. Right. <laughs> then I'm gearing up for the next year. And then I, I start the whole you know, cycle again. Okay. So I think there there is that opportunity to, on a school to school front for our constituents to look at what they're doing. For instance, in my program, I am going to really look at the educational side of the individual student vis-a-vis pop music, vis-a-vis studio production, because that is something that we can do. We can have our, our auditorium manager working with kids, recording them one at a time. We can have a scenario where we're socially distanced in a place where we can project up on the screen. Here's what we're going to do with the Pro Tools and and let kids get in on that. Whereas I probably mm-hmm. would have never taken as much time to do that before. I would just work on making the group great, and then I'd spend money to have Ed Boyer you know, fix right. it or whatever. So, <laughs> so, but I mean, this is good. This is, you know, empowering. So that kind of flip is happening. And then as an organization, we have an opportunity again to kind of step back and re-examine our roles. We've added uh, a new member to our board. Nikisha uh, has come onto the board and we're looking for more volunteers to come in and just kind of, you know, everybody now has that time so they can mm. say, okay, when I go back to uh, regular life, uh, this is something where I do want to make time to volunteer for this organization, or I do want to kind of streamline where things are going. So, you know, we're just, we're juggling all those pieces and, and trying to communicate with folks as much as possible on that front. But at the end of the day, our mission has always been to just support teachers and what they need and what they need in the moment. So this is what they need now. This is what they're going to get now. Yeah. Gina, how about for you? Uh, You know, a lot of college campuses are handling this in very different ways. Some are bringing students back for sort of locked down academics, but sort of shaky extracurriculars and, and acapella groups, for example. But, you know, college kids are going to college kid, right? So uh, uh, (laughs) how, how do you help support folks in doing it in a way that won't conceivably kill someone. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, a a lot of the groups that we're talking to are looking at not being able to rehearse in person. That does mean, though, that they can spend time on things like arranging or creating videos or other audio recordings. So we are looking at some, you know, some classes, virtual classes that we can do that not not only large group lecture style, but even interactive small group style that would be, as an example, a video production class where you actually bring it in and work, you know, maybe there's only five people and you actually work on, you know, the, the video over multiple sessions as opposed to just in one two hour section of time. So just as a very offhand example, that is one of the things that we're looking at trying to do to support groups because 
they aren't rehearsing as much as in person, they actually have time to do some of these other more digital things. So how can we support them if they've never done that before, or if they need a resource that's low cost or things like that to make that make those tools more accessible to the wider community? We are, like Brody mentioned, we're also looking at, you know, adding folks to the overall staff and also at the board level. There are people who are looking for ways to help out virtually. CASA's always been a virtual organization as far as our leadership's concerned. So thankfully that hasn't really changed how we handle meetings and things like that. So there are more people that are available, I think, right now and looking for ways to make time meaningful outside of virtual work hours. So we are, yeah, we're just trying to get creative and find ways to involve anybody who wants to be and look at, you know, reinventing and reworking policies and procedures and train our own staff training, things like that. We have a little bit of extra time to work on those things right now because we're not as much in the the wheel of the events cycle. Marty, it seems like you have paid staff as well as volunteers who are consumed all the time by some of the large events that you do every year. And right. I wonder if when there aren't those large events, how do you kind of re reorient folks towards doing different things to serve the barbershop community? What's the strategy <laughs> around that? We didn't even wait to like change budgets or business plan or anything like that. We just the team got together, rallied and said, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. What do we got to do? What do we do? And you just go, right? I mean, for the situation that we're in and that's a cultural thing. And I think artists are creative people in general. That's why we create music and we create artistry. And I think it's part of our DNA of being able to tap into that in times of, of this. And they know how to do it, whether it's our paid staff or our volunteers, it's amazing once you kind of get it started, it, it snowballs pretty quickly because everybody rallies, you know, and I think that's part of humanity too, I don't think, but I'm a little biased, I think, to the music and choral and even acapella space even more so that we just, we don't have dependencies, right? Like acapella, we have to depend on ourselves. And I think that's a really critical piece. And, but you had to pivot and we adjusted really quickly from that standpoint, but then we even had because of the magnitude and how far we plan out on so many things, we had to really, as I said, we, my executive team and the board, we, we went through an exercise of what I call, you got to cut into the bone, but I mean, cut into the muscle, but not into the bone. And we had to really make some hard decisions on some business rules. And that was our business mindset. And that was for us to decide to say, from a business perspective, we're going to operate like there's not going to be any events through 2021, just because of the uncertainty, but still work as if there could be. And that's a fine balance, but our, our staff and our volunteers all had to kind of pivot with all that and adjust their mindset so they wouldn't put or spend money where they didn't have to or unnecessary hope. You know, all these things that are just the mental fatigue or the mental opportunity, even though I think people are very optimistic in general or they want to be, that, that that's really critical. But that adjustment right there by staff specifically, and then the volunteers was just, they just jumped. And once they got some success and started understanding that we have the tools, we have the support, they started tapping into this whole virtual meeting, right? Or the virtual chapter or course rehearsal. And they found out that they had overnight access to people all over the world that perhaps in our adult acapella world versus the educational or young college, 
they were already embracing more technology for coaching and arranging or whatever it was. But for our adults to have a video screen, I mean, a TV screen with a video camera, I mean, that was like, no way, you know, that doesn't come into play. And now that silver lining that I've heard Gina say and Brody say, the silver lining is now that we've overcome that. And I think it gives access to the entire, for us, just people and resources, arrangers, composers, coaches, I mean, leadership, inspiration. I mean, so many things that maybe we just never thought. And so besides setting up your rehearsal room, you know, and somebody's in charge of that, maybe somebody will be in charge to make sure that the technology's there to bring in somebody from around the world to give a vocal pedagogy lesson or some other kind of contribution at that point in time when we get back to some of the gathering again and, and creating real live harmony. Now, Gina and Brody talked about keeping their constituencies engaged with non-singing activities, like arranging, technology, that kind of stuff. Are there strategies for keeping, a, you know, a, a chorus member or a quartet member of a group that's not getting together in person right now? I mean, I'm guessing you're not encouraging encouraging everyone to go off and create contestable arrangements by themselves in a corner somewhere. Uh, there, you know, is, I mean, is, absolutely. Uh, is, is there, is there another strategy for keeping folks engaged during this time? Yeah. We jumped right in and offered these free Friday, you know, Harmony University sessions that we just gave for anybody. And, and that was just awesome because it provided actually another level of inclusion for people who maybe had social economic challenges to be able to participate like they've never had to before. And they had access to these heroes or these experts, you know, that perhaps might have been at arm's length. We just completed a month long virtual Harmony University session that we had and we had almost 700 participants during that period of time and Deke came in and did a virtual course with our everyone at Harmony course we had a little over 300 people that attended that and and then we had all kinds of classes scattered throughout the rest of the month and the amount of hours of content is like 11,000 hours of content and participation that just occurred through all the you know all those elements so and we had some for free we had some for paid we had you know all these things that Brody articulated earlier because you still got to try and support the content and, and our operations. But so there's been a lot of that. We have our kind of a little bit of a replacement to our convention and that's this uh, Legacy Quartet Championship and then the finals are this Saturday and that's our uh, judging community identified 25 second place quartets of all time and we narrowed them down to 20 and then went into our archives and found four songs of each of these groups, all going back to the 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, almost every decade has some kind of representation, but they never won. So it's all these second place groups, these quartets. And now we're providing it for free for everybody to view all these on Saturday and, and the finals. And then if you pay a nominal fee, you can be able to judge and go into a chat room with a historian uh, multiple historians or some of our champs or some of our inspirers and all that kind of stuff. And you get to have some one-on-one -on -one conversations. I tested that last week and it was so awesome. We were on this big Zoom call and we watched the video and you should have seen everybody's eyes just light up and their smiles. And I started dancing because there was a group that played that sang a song and it was a song that I grew up listening my listening to my dad's quartet sing and here it was this song that 
this group from the 40s sang and did so well. And I knew every word, every little swipe, every little thing. And I was just in heaven. And I was probably doing things on the screen that I shouldn't have been doing, but I just felt so good, you know? And so those virtual things to provide for free and then maybe for those that, you know, to throw some revenue into this during this time is still a really fine balance. And we're providing scholarships for, you know, for VHU still. We had scholarships so and music educators and all those kind of things. So, And we're still doing a gala. I heard, Gina, you talk about your, your awards and, and the big acapella Grammys, you know, from that standpoint. And so we're going to be doing our first ever we were going to do in Los Angeles this year. And, and of course, that didn't happen. So we're doing a big virtual one in mid-September. So we're trying. It's just so important to keep people engaged. And anything that we can do to keep people engaged in some kind of hope, either individual ensemble. We still have a lot of groups that have not embraced the technology yet. And we're trying to do more reach and a campaign to ensure that they know that we're here to help them with adult learning and some of our courses that they're older and they're just going to wait it out versus how can we engage them? How can we invite them to one of the local courses just to get on their virtual meeting if they don't have it, but invite them, right? And do more of those kind of things. So that was a lot, a lot of stuff there, but it's everything is on this engagement so that people know that we exist to bring value. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Gina, Marty talked about the notion of at least contingency planning, assuming that 2021 is all virtual as well. And that obviously has a lot of fiscal impacts because mm-hmm. those those yeah. events, you know, can bring in some revenue for the organization. How, in some ways, you have both the benefit and the burden, I suppose, of having lots of volunteer leadership and that saves yeah. on costs for sure. But are there sort of contingency plans and, and conversations underway about the, the fiscal side of all this? Absolutely. You know, normally we we, we look over as a board, right, the board level, and we, we have more of an operational board just due to the structure that has been in place with CASA for 25 years now. So normally the cycle on that is that we we kind of look at everything over the summer for the past year, the coming year, and, you know, evaluate and make decisions about how we're going to change our plans for the coming scholastic season. Because, you know, we plan for school years, just like Brody, I'm sure does as well. So this year, what we kind of adopted a little bit of a different take on it. We sort of went through all of this actually just happened very recently. We went through and evaluated all of our hard costs and did kind of a budget, worst case scenario budget is what I called it, where we literally look at if we don't bring in a single dollar in re- event revenue this year, where are we and can we do this? Like, can we weather the storm. And that sounds a little pessimistic, but actually we had, thankfully, because of our uh, amazing director of events, Maroon Mogos, who has done a great job the past few years, we have enough money in the bank that we will be fine, uh, which is the great news. So that was very reassuring. I And of course, you don't want to be a pessimist and only look at the worst case scenario, but you also have to look at as an organization, you have hard operational costs. Our web hosting is our web hosting. And there, whether we have events or not, we have to pay for web hosting. Just as something that's one very small example, but insurance, you know, even though we don't have employees, we do have hard costs and those are not a small number. So it was important to me to kind of look at the quote unquote worst case scenario. And can we, can we make it through the year and make sure that we stay on target financially so that we are able to do things once this is all, all over with. So the good news is the answer was yes, which is great to hear. Um, and actually gave me a whole lot of, uh, warm fuzzies about the coming, about making it through this coming year personally as president of cost. And 
Yes, you're right. Having volunteers only, we don't have a lot of employee costs, which is good. We're not, obviously, nobody's jobs are at stake at a, from a CASA perspective, which is fantastic. But we are looking at creative ways to bring in revenue this year and to cut as many costs as we can so that we'll be in a position to jump right back into live events as soon as we get the green light from the world, right? right. <laughs> well, best case scenario is that we are not done with this episode, but we do need to take another break. So uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. On the other side, we'll be talking talking about criteria that these organizations need to think about or are thinking about in terms of starting to bring people back to in-person events. We'll talk more about what happens, you know, fast forward a year or two and what, what do things look like potentially then and when do those decision points need to be made. So stick with us. We will have more on the other side. Akaville is broadening our network. We're introducing a new show and podcast called Vocal Perspective, hosted by myself, Rachel Schoenbaum, and the amazing Amanda Cornaglia. Each week, we speak with a new female or female-identifying member of the acapella community to talk about ideas, themes, and topics that affect us. Tune in at Acaville on Tuesdays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, or on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Acaville, home of vocal perspective. Welcome back to our last segment of Polyphony for the evening. We're talking with acapella organizations on their survival during the pandemic. We have with us again, Gina Deaton from CASA, Brody McDonald from AEA, and Marty Monson from BHS. Welcome back, and uh, I'll throw it to Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Brody, you mentioned in the last segment that you're finding educators really kind of rethinking and moving off of the rote cycles of the year that you can kind of get into. And I wonder if post-pandemic, you feel like the structure of what AEA does and what music educators are doing with acapella groups is going to look different. I think so. I think I'm just wildly speculating here. But I know for someone like myself, you know, I've been teaching now, I'm going into close to 25 years and, you know, coming up on 20 years of 11th hour. And we've done a lot of stuff. So for me, I have been really looking at myself, reinvesting in, you know, my family time, my kids, my health, a lot of things that I just kind of burnt on the altar of, of career. And so I think you're going to see a little bit of a break. I think you're going to see folks who maybe are just like me and they say, you know what, coming back out of this, I don't know that I'll ever go back to that schedule. And then you're mm-hmm. going to see maybe some of the, the eager beavers or the or the you know, younger crowd or whatever. It's just going to be you know, like on overdrive. They'll just come mm-hmm. back and they'll just be, you know, this insane, this super do mission of just like, I've got two years to make up for it. Here it goes. So I think I think you're really going to see more of a, a schism there yeah. because it, it is a polarizing time. And I think coming back out of it, you know, there's no it's not just going to be like back to normal. People will will make those choices and and kind of break off. Does that change or inform how AEA supports those communities? Is the support of someone who is perhaps taking it a little bit more easy and being more reflective different than supporting or with different initiatives than someone who's going 150 miles an hour? I don't think so. I think the AEA has always done a really good job of balancing what people want to do. I know, Marty, you know, BHS has always kind of dealt with that. I've been a barbershopper forever. And when I was part of forming the Alliance Chorus or when I was in a competitive quartet, there were folks who would say, well, you shouldn't do that. Why don't you just join this course? Or why don't you do things that way? And we would always say, I'm going to do what I want with my hobby and you can do what Mm. you want with your hobby. And so today there are directors who say, I like to take my kids to a local festival and I like to maybe have them do like a single during the year. 
and that's our gig. And then there's there's groups that will do four or five big travel things, or they do the the varsity vocals competition, or they come to the NAC. So that's already covered. I think it's just going to be a little bit more of a matter of you know who's doing what, and maybe some of those who are doing are going to do more, or they're going to explore a different aspect. But we we already have all those mindsets covered. Hmm. Yeah, Gina, for you, given the success of the Virtual Boss Day, you know, again, a sort of similar scenario to Brody. If we fast forward to a time when we can actually hug people again and be in rooms together and all that good sort of thing, do you feel like CASA may preserve some of its learnings from this pandemic time for a post-pandemic era? Absolutely. We've been doing a lot of talking about diversity and reducing barriers of entry, which I know I've heard Marty mention already as well with PHS. But one of the things we've talked about is just the geographic barrier of having three regional festivals and knowing that there are groups that have trouble making it, whether it's for travel expenses or whatever reason, just time, the time to travel. So we, you know, there are a few different ways to reduce that barrier. We talked about scholarships, which is something that we're going to be working on too. But one of the ways to reduce that obviously is to increase our virtual offerings. So we've talked about doing these virtual classes right now, and we're hoping that those will continue once our plan, our goal is for those to continue, even once we're doing more in-person activities. Some of those will be centered around a festival. We already do some of that with Acaville and others, right? For our, our showcase, our, our scholastic competition and our professional showcase and so more the performance side of things. But we haven't ever done any virtual broadcasting for our educational classes. So we're hoping to maybe incorporate some more of that and make those at least available afterward, if not, you know, in real time. We may not be able to do all six or eight classes that are happening simultaneously all at once, but they're, they're at least, it is something we've always talked about. But now that we have some time to really sit and think about and practice doing more virtual events, it seems like a great time for us to kind of establish that that's going to be the new normal and the new plan, just the new default for us to include whether we're rebroadcasting those after or doing them some portion of them at the same time. So the frame around that conversation has really been how do we take this time with everything that's happened this year, not just in the medical side of life, but also with diversity and inclusion and racial conflict, how do we reduce the, the barriers as much as possible for us to support all aspects of the vocal music community, all genres, all minorities? We we also want to support others in other countries, right? So how do we do that? And I think this is a really great time for us to learn tools and learn approaches and how to put on virtual lots of other things that we can continue to do even once in-person events are possible. I, I think what you're saying and Brody, what you said, if we as leaders driving and working through all this time, don't encourage people to take that time to reflect, I think to what you said, Brody, really resonates with me, the fast pace, right? And then you go and, and how often do we really take that time to reflect and evaluate versus in a lot of my speeches to our organization and the various courses and quartets and all that kind of stuff is that if you don't take the time to reflect, you just kind of get in that rinse and repeat mindset and you miss out on opportunities. They just whiz by because you're not you're not seeing them, right? You're not, you don't see them and they pass by and you go, oh shoot, you know, maybe you say something else, but that's an Iowa term. Um, but it's just something that I think that if we don't, I worry that a lot of the leaders, the choir directors, the music educators, all that, that some will just wait because they're just in a sense kind of paralyzed. Like, what do I do? Versus how can we encourage people to really take the time to reflect, talk to each other, find that better balance? What's sustainable? 
how can I have a better life? But yet, how can I be that example for these young people or these other educators that are going through challenges, whether it's in an urban area that's still struggling to put a choral program together to an adult community, adult choir that is aging out and they're trying to still want to be sustainable, but they've just not quite figured out how to bring in new, younger people into the choir for that choir to be more sustainable again. And now's the time to reflect versus just wait for the the resolution of a vaccine. And yeah, you get back creating chords again, but you, you just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. And that is a little bit, I think, of the silver lining that we talked about earlier. But I think that's even for our challenge, Gina and Brody, is, is for our organizations to help each other in that too, so that the advocacy is so important right now, maybe more than ever before, because of what the outcome of all of our work. So I, this is where I found myself, right? As I was coming up, and again, as a barbershopper, when I was in a quartet, I wanted to win. And when I was in a chorus, I wanted to win. I mean, that was the thrill of the hunt. And then, you know, in my teaching, it was, you know, I got to get a one at state contest and I got to get on this conference. And I want, I love hour to be on NBC TV. And I want to, you know, I want to win a both, be on both sides and win a card, all this stuff, right? Win, 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 win. It was like that cartoon that I saw recently where someone said, hey, sometimes you got to stop and smell the flowers. And they were listed as type B. And then the type A person grabs the flowers and snorts them and then holds up a big trophy that says world's champion flower smeller. I was doing the you know, the world's champion flower smeller. And I, I think the organizations as a whole tend to, because they provide structure, they mm-hmm. sort of inherently boost people who are in the structure, who want to be in the competitions, want to be at the events, want to be at the top. And then it sort of creates uh, a vision like that's the thing, right? Mm. The, the championship is the thing. And finding ways that the organizations can message just the the human participation, the mm. camaraderie piece of it, because I know for sure I am not missing any kind of awards at this point Mm-mm. or scores. <laughs> I am just missing. And if I could go back in time, I would just, I just want to oh, stand God. across from from Chad and Dave and Josh and sing. I wouldn't care if there was an audience or not. That's just that's just what I want to do. So maybe that that is something that we can continue to foster is just the you know everyone in harmony, right? Everyone mm-hmm. doing this stuff together. The the human in peace. Why singing is so great, right? That, so... that may have been a rambling to nowhere, but thank you for listening to it. You can cut that out, <laughs> right now, guys. Brody. I think you're spot on because I think you know we have a saying in the barbershop community that I didn't create, but it's been around because we've been around for 80 years, but they, you come for the music and you stay for the fellowship or the friendship mm-hmm. or whatever that is. But as a primarily up until two years ago, being an all-male organization, the gender aspect of the fellowship and the science of that fellowship mm. has not been something that is male men or young men that we've been very vocal about. And mm. so my other challenge is to say, write it down now. What is this feeling that you have? Tell each other your story because it's really important. You know, it's choir and all this stuff can be, we feed the elitism aspect and Mm. it turns what we do into a noun instead of a verb. And the joy of singing as a verb together is is so just that basic principle that does, yeah, I, I aspire to be really, really good. But at the end of the day, Right now, I'd take for subpar just to be able to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. to your point. And I don't really care because my soul needs to be fed. So, Brody, when do you feel like 
you would feel comfortable being in a room singing with people again. Look, you can see I'm not comfortable getting a haircut. Me neither. <laughs> it's like 2022. <laughs> it will be sometime for, well, I mean, our school is starting remotely. And when we go back, if we go back, we have a plan to, you know, follow the, the guidelines of the Colorado study, try to get out in the spread out in our auditorium. We have a 900 seat auditorium. So I, I think I can get 40 kids spread out through there and do some singing and that's all great but i'm just i've always been a little bit risk averse in that Mm -hmm. regard so it's gonna be a challenge for me to do that yeah it just is yeah i i have done some tags out on our porch i've had some people over and we would be social distance outside i mean i'm outside right Mm -hmm. and i've sung some tags and and it it was fine my dad came through and I had some friends here and I wanted my dad to sing a chord. And, and so they were coming up from their being snowbirds and they came through and we social distanced and we did it all. And, and it was fine. Again, it was all outdoors. It's not ideal, but you know mm. what? I was able to bottle that up for a long time. I might still be leveraging off of that, some of that oxygen that was created. And you're the best yeah. neighbor ever. That's a, that's great for the neighbors. <laughs> I've got a yeah, I got a senior in high school that just graduated and he brings all the kids over. I mean, it's kind of funny. Mm. Well, we are so grateful to our guests today for sharing their stories, their passion and their energy with us and with all of you. That will wrap it up for today's Polyphony. Thank you so much to Gina Deaton from CASA, the Contemporary Acapella Society, Brody McDonald from AEA, the Acapella Educators Association, and Marty Monson from BHS, the Barbershop Harmony Society. And stay tuned for us. Next week, we'll be speaking to people like Mel Danicky and Alex Green on the future of recording. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Polyphony.